All right, we're in our series called Words, Life, or Death. And I want you to turn to how many passages? Two passages. Open your Bible to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and then put a marker at Isaiah chapter 6, all right? Put a marker at Isaiah 6, open your Bibles to James chapter 1, words, life, or death. And this weekend, the title of the message is Bridling the Tongue, Bridling the Tongue. Now, we read last weekend that the tongue is humanly untamable, but it is divinely tameable. But does that mean, because the tongue is humanly untamable, does that mean that we have no responsibility then? That it's just up to God to just control our mouths? Or does it mean that we cooperate with God? And we read this scripture last weekend in James chapter 1, and I want to read it again. James 1 verse 26. James 1 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and this word religious we said last weekend from the Greek means serving God. If anyone thinks he is serving God and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion or this one's service of God is useless. Okay, so if anyone thinks he's serving God but he doesn't bridle his own tongue, then his service of God is useless. And let me say it again. God's responsibility is to tame the tongue. No human can tame the tongue. God can tame the tongue. But what is our responsibility? Our responsibility, according to this verse, is to bridle the tongue. When I say that the tongue is humanly untamable, I don't mean then that we don't have responsibility because we still have a responsibility. Let me say another statement. Uh, if I were to say the soul is humanly unsavable, what I'm saying is, is that we can't save ourselves. Only God can save us. But when I say the soul is humanly unsavable, does that mean then that we have no responsibility? Of course we do. We have to respond to the grace of God. We have to turn, repent, and believe, the Bible says. Turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ. So we have a responsibility. So when we talk about the tongue, we have a responsibility. We have to bridle the tongue. But when you put a bridle for the first time on a wild horse, is that horse tame immediately? No, it takes a while to tame a wild horse. Well, it takes a while to tame the tongue, but our responsibility is to begin to bridle the tongue. So, uh, I asked the Lord for three points to help us remember how to bridle the tongue. And he gave me three, and they all begin with the same letter. And uh, many of my points do, and that's simply because I'm gifted. I'm just very gifted, all right? No, it's so that I can remember them. <laughs> And hopefully, you can remember them also, all right? So here's the first one. Number one, pause. Pause, all right? Remember, I want you to remember these three words. If you need to, write them down. Number one, pause. Now, you're in James 1 there. We just read verse 26. Look at verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man, every person, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Okay, every person needs to be swift to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to wrath. Now, I just want to just show you something from this verse right here. Have you ever had a problem getting angry? You ever had a problem with that? Anyone? Okay. You want to know why? Because you also have a problem talking. That's what this is telling us. If I want to be slow to anger, I need to be slow to speak. Think about how many times we get in an argument with someone and we get talking so fast to each other, saying things, and we have to go back and say, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean that. I shouldn't have said that. And we got angry quickly, but we got angry quickly because we were talking quickly and not listening. And that's what this verse is telling us. So pause, just, just stop. Just, just don't say anything for a moment. Just, just pause for a moment. After the last service, uh, a friend called me, left me a message, and he said, uh, man, that was a great message. He said, years ago, God dealt with me in this area. He's still dealing with me, he said. But he said, the Lord gave me a word that helps me, and it's the word wait. Before you answer, wait. And I said, well, Lord, does that, anything else? And the Lord said to him this. He said, yeah, W-A-I-T. This is what I want you to think. Why am I talking? Why am I talking right now? Just wait, just, just be quiet. It's if life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they are, Proverbs 18, 21, then why do we speak so quickly? Because every time we talk, it's either life or it's death. Uh, let me show you a few other scriptures before we get to Isaiah 6. Proverbs 21, verse 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Isn't this amazing? Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Again, it's my responsibility to guard my mouth. It's my responsibility to restrain my lips. God tames the tongue, but we have to work with God to bridle our words. Let me read you another verse. Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. He who has knowledge spares his words. In other words, people who are smart don't talk much. He who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Uh, look at verse 28. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Now, my father had his own version of this. He used to say to me, son, it would be better for them to think you're a fool than to open your mouth and leave no doubt. <laughs> and he was really trying to help me because I talked too much growing up. I talked all the time. I can remember the day after getting saved when the Lord said to me, Robert, the world will not stop orbiting if you're not talking. You don't have to be talking all the time. I can remember when God began to deal with me about this. I, I remember on the top of my meeting notes, when I'd go into meetings, I would write, don't talk. <laughs> be quiet. Listen, this, we just read a verse that says, when he shuts his lips... Shut your lips. Let me just say this. This is what the Bible's saying. Shut up! Please, just once, be quiet. Okay, when we talk about bridle our tongue, let me just give you an example. If you're, if you're new at this, you might have to do something like this. When someone says something, you might just have to go. And just grab your lips, 
Don't talk. Let me read you another verse. Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Have you ever done that? Let me say it another way. Have you ever finished someone else's sentences? You're you're real quiet. Now, I think you're just lying to me because you're not saying anything. Think about it. Someone says, hey, I, I know what we can do. I got a great idea. And before the person even finishes, we say, yeah, yeah, I, I got that same idea. And, and we share it. And then the person says, that's not what I was going to say. And we feel foolish. Or here's something else that happens a lot. Now, you're really going to be quiet about this one, many of you. Here's something that happens a lot. We'll be, Debbie and I will be at dinner with a couple. And the, one of them, the husband or the wife, will begin to tell a story And the other one jumps in, interrupts, and starts telling the story also. And here's what happens sometimes. And then they say, oh, I'm sorry. And then the first one will say, no, no, go ahead. You tell it. And you can see that it happens a lot. Do you finish the story that someone else starts? Okay, let me just speak to you very directly from the Bible. Shut up. (laughs) Learn to bridle your mouth. Um, I, I had such a problem with this when I was growing up, talking too much, not listening. And uh, I can remember teachers, you know, would say, you know, he just doesn't listen in class. He talks all the time. And then one of our kids, I had to go to the teacher, parent-teacher meeting. One of our children, the, the teacher says, you know, uh, he just doesn't listen. He just talks and he talks and he just doesn't listen. And she's explaining this to me, and, and she just she kind of went on and on. And I've always kind of had a problem, you know, staying focused, you know. And so she's going on and on. In a moment, she says, is there any history of ADD in your family? And of course, by then, I was watching some bird out the window or something. I, you know, I, pause, pause. Just wait before you speak, all right? Here's number two, ponder, ponder. Think about it. Think about what you're gonna say before you answer. How many times have you said something and later you thought, I wish I had thought about that before I said it? When I was preparing this message, I was thinking, There are really three types of people in the world when you think about it. One, people who think before they talk. Two, people who think while they talk. And three, people who think after they talk. Actually, there's probably a fourth person, people who never think. (laughs) I normally am a person who thinks out loud. I think while I talk, but many times I think after I talk. I want to become more a person who thinks before he speaks. What should I say? How should I answer this? Just take a moment and ponder. Now, I'm I'm gonna tell you something about thinking that maybe you've never thought of, all right? We think in two places. Yes, we think in our minds, but according to the Bible, we also think in our hearts. Did you know that? Let me read you a few scriptures. Again, we'll get to Isaiah 6 in a moment. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Why would the Bible say that you can think in your heart if your heart can't think? Uh, Luke 2, 19. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Or she thought about them in her heart. Luke 2, 35, this is a prophecy to Mary. Yes, the sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The thoughts of hearts. This is the Bible. 
Luke 9, 47, and Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart took a little child and set him by him. Matthew 9, 4, Jesus knowing their thoughts said, why do you think evil in your hearts? This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 15, 19, again Jesus speaking. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. And then a very, very famous verse, listen to this one, Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, remember this verse, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner, watch, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Our hearts can think. That's what the Bible says. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but medical science is now beginning to understand this. Let me read you from a recent medical report. When some transplant patients received their new hearts, they discovered that the previous owners had donated a few eerie thoughts as well. After recovering from their operation, several recipients started recounting incidents that occurred in their donors' lives. A 52-year-old man loved classical music, but after being given the heart of a teenage boy, suddenly discovered he loved rock music. That'd be a nightmare, wouldn't it? (laughs) A man who had received a heart from a woman who was hit by a train had recurrent dreams about train wrecks. After a young boy, now listen to this, after a young boy received his heart transplant, he awoke and told his mother, everything is copacetic. This is a young boy. He had never used that word or phrase before, but later learned that the donor and his wife used it to reassure each other after they had an argument. Listen to this one. After an eight-year-old girl received the heart of a murdered child, she started having recurring nightmares. She described the circumstances of her donor's death and the killer in such detail that the police were able to capture the murderer who was later convicted. And she got a heart transplant. Now, let me say why I'm telling you this. If we'll just pause and then think about it, we could think about it in our hearts, not just our minds. have you ever said, well, this is what's on the top, of, just, it just comes from off the top of my mind. Well, wouldn't it be better to give someone an answer from the bottom of our hearts instead of the top of our minds? <laughs> wouldn't that be good to just take a moment? Because how many times have we uh, said something that we regretted and we've had to go back to the person and say, I'm so sorry, I, I really did not mean that. That's not in my heart. And it wasn't in your heart but you spoke from your mind. Matter of fact, remember this. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So many, many times we say things that are from our minds, and and remember, when we get saved, you get a new heart. That's what the Bible says. God gives us a new heart. So let me say it another way. Let your converted heart tell your renewing mind what to say. Let me say that again. See, when we get saved, we get a new heart. So we have a new heart now, a new heart. And if we'll just think about it for a while in our hearts, we can give a better answer. But the Bible says to renew our minds. So our minds are being renewed by the word of God. But why don't we do this? Let our converted hearts tell our renewing minds what to say. Just take a moment and pause 
and then ponder, and then here's number three, pray. I want you to hopefully please remember these three words. Pause, ponder, pray. Now, Isaiah chapter six. Hopefully you put a marker over there. Isaiah six, verse one. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Those words we use a lot in in worship songs we sing. High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it, above the throne, stood seraphim. Seraphim is the plural of angels. A seraph is an angel singular. Seraphim, plural, more than one. So, there were, I saw more than one angel. Each one, he now describes them, had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another, shows you there was more than one, and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, I just want to show you, before before we read the next verse, what is the first thing that comes to Isaiah's mind when he sees the Lord? Let me tell you what it is. His mouth. That's the first area of his life he's convicted about. Watch, verse five. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because, why am I undone? Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Notice where it starts. We talked about at Pentecost, it started with the tongue, God changing the tongue. This has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Notice the word us, the Trinity. Then I said, here am I, send me, a very famous verse. But he didn't say, here am I, send me, until he had an encounter with God. Okay, so Isaiah goes into the temple, worships God, and in worshiping God, he sees a vision of the Lord. And immediately, when he sees a holy God, he's convicted about one area of his life, his mouth. He says, I'm undone. I I can't control my tongue. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. Now, you think about how unclean, how vulgar, and how sarcastic our speech has gotten. He said, God, I, I can't control this area of my life. I need your help. Now, here's what I get out of this. I need this every day. Every day, I need to come into the presence of God to begin my day and not just read a few verses or say a few prayers, God, take care of this and take care of this. I need to see the King. I need to see the Lord every day. And when I see God, I can confess to Him my faults and my weaknesses, and God can touch my mouth that day, and then I can go out and help my society of unclean lips. I can help other people because every day I have an encounter with God and God touches my mouth and he cleanses me. Um, I share my testimony a lot. You've heard my testimony. I was saved in a motel room called Jake's Motel Room 12. Uh, But when I share my testimony, I don't share this part of it simply because of time. 
But in this message, you need to hear this, this part of it. I, I grew up, again, with a very unsanctified mouth. I talked a lot, talked all the time, and I, I would say things that offended people. And, and as, as I've learned and, and gone through inner healing and, and freedom ministry and things like that, I, I've learned that actually it was because of a root of, re, of rejection that I had in my life. And here's what I would do. I, I just figured that at some point you were going to reject me. And so what I would do is say something that would just go ahead and get it over with. I'd just cause you to reject me, you know, within five minutes of our relationship. That way it wouldn't hurt so much if it was five years later. And so, that's, and I, so I just said things that were offensive. And so there was an evangelist that just kind of took me under his wing, saw the gift of God in me. He thought I was saved. I thought I was saved. Debbie thought I was saved. We were married at the time, you know. And uh, so everyone thought I was saved. I'd, I'd walk down the aisle when I was a kid, and I'd rededicated several times. I'd been baptized three times growing up. I mean, that ought to do it, you know. <laughs> and so I just, but I, I, I offended people all the time. And uh, so I'm with this guy, and he's the one, we're in the, he's, he's in this motel room, he was gonna speak somewhere, and he said to me, well, you did it again. And I said, what do you mean I did it again? He said, well, you offended so-and-so. These were uh, some people I'd been with the week before. I said, really? He said, oh yeah, he said, you really offended them. And I remember thinking, I thought I was on my best behavior that night. And it just kind of settled on me, I just can't do this. And then he made this statement to me, he said, you know, Robert, Maybe you've never laid your insecurity on the cross. And when he said it, I can't tell you the conviction because the day before I had said to Debbie, I said, you know, I may not truly be saved. It was just so shocking. God was already dealing with me. And I, so I said to this guy, maybe I've never laid anything on the cross. And he had to get ready to speak. And so he said, well, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this some more. I gotta get ready. He left the room. And my life just began to flood over me. I, w- I was very, very immoral. I'd walked out when I was eight years old, but the first time I was immoral was in the church building. First time I smoked a cigarette was behind the church building. First time I got high was behind the Sunday school building. I, I had done horrible sin in God's house. And all this began to flood over me, and I thought, God, if anyone deserves to go to hell, I do. And I can't change. I remember telling God that I can't change. I've tried to change, God. You know I have. I've tried to change, and I can't change. But if you want me, and I don't know why you would, but if you want me, you can have me. And you can have all of me, God. I give you everything. And unless you've had it happen to you, and most of you have, the joy that flooded my soul. It was like God reached down and picked me up like you do a small child and said, you're my child now. You're my child. It was God taking that live coal off the altar, which represents Jesus Christ, touching me and taking my sin away. And when I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, we're gonna talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit later and about even praying in a prayer language because that all, all has a part of controlling our tongues, every bit of that. But listen to me very carefully. I know the Lord said to me, for some of you this weekend, you relate to what I just said. You have tried your whole life to control your tongue, and you walked an aisle probably, or you've made some commitment, or you've rededicated, but when I talked about not truly being saved, something inside of you is rising up right now, and you know it. And today's your day. I'm I'm asking you, will you lay everything 
on the cross today. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Just, just, just for a moment. I, I, the reason that I do this, I don't want to manipulate you in any way, in any way. But I want you to just have a time with God. And there, I know, I know in the last service there were many. And I know that there are some of you that need to give your life to Jesus today. And you relate to my testimony. You've made commitments before. And when I talked about really not being able to control our mouths, you say, that's me. That is me. And I'm telling you right now, you feel what I felt in that motel room. Some of you, you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's time for you to lay everything on the cross. And I'm just wondering, and again, no one's looking around, but at every campus and in every overflow room, if that's you, would you just, would you just put your hand up where I can sit and just say, Robert, that's me. I relate to you. Put it up where I can sit. God bless you. Well, it's amazing how many hands. Okay, can I just, you can put your hands down. Can, can I just lead you in a prayer? In, in your heart. I'm not asking you to say this out loud right now. Just in your heart, would you just, would you just pray after me and give your life to God right now? Just say, dear God, just tell me, dear God, and, and tell him, I can't change. That's okay to tell him that because we can't on our own. It's humanly impossible. I can't change God, but I know you can change me. Just tell him that. I know you can change me. And today, I give you everything. I give you my life today, Lord. Tell him that. I give you my life today. Now, if you, again, no one's looking around, but every campus, every overflow room, if you prayed that prayer right now, and you really meant business, would you just put your hand up right and sit? Put it way up high. Y'all be proud to put it up. Y'all be proud to put it. It's the best decision you ever made. God bless you. God bless you. Hands all over. You can put your hands down. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Now, listen, it's very, very important. It's very important. It's the area of our mouths that God is dealing with. I'm going to ask you in just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to have one more worship song. And when we stand up, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you just to stand up and then step out and come to one of the leaders at the front of the, whichever campus you're attending, or if you're in an overflow room, just step out and come to one of the leaders and, and just with your mouth, I want you to say, I gave my life to God today. And make up your mind right now. You won't be the only one because there were many hands, but you make up your mind. If I am the only one, I'm, I'm going. I'm giving my life to God. I'm going all the way with God today, all right? So as soon as we stand up, as soon as we stand up, you just stand up, step out to the aisle, come to one of the leaders at the front of the room or the campus where you are, and tell them, I gave my life to God today. I'm giving everything to God today, all right? Holy Spirit, I pray you'll give confidence and boldness to every person who prayed that prayer in Jesus' name, amen.